Our scripture today comes from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let me get to the big idea of what I'm driving at right from the very beginning here. What the world needs right now from the church, and and to be specific, what the world needs right now from Christ City Church is a framework of thinking that practically shows others what it means to hold on to hope in the midst of suffering. What the world needs right now is to find people who have a totally different framework for hope that is not based on circumstances. And we have that in Christ. Hope when you're healthy and wealthy and comfortable and at peace might not mean anything to the watching world around us, but hanging on to hope when you're sick and when you lose everything and when you're afflicted and when you're in conflict, now that means something to people. The glorious hope that we have in God shines brightest against the backdrop of terrible circumstances. And what people need to see in us is a totally different framework of hope that sustains us in sorrow and pain and suffering and loss. That's where the power is. And that's why Lamentations chapter 3 is so powerful. You know, Paul the Apostle talks about this paradox and this kind of hope in 2 Corinthians 6 when he talks about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's that kind of hope we're talking about. You can be sorrowful but still rejoicing. It's not putting on blinders and pretending that everything around you is all good all of the time and some sort of, you know, as if we live in a, a happy, clappy euphoria where we just pretend everything is rainbows and sunshine all the time. Jesus came to be the anchor of our hope in all kinds of circumstances, even in, and I would say especially in, circumstances and times of trial and suffering. So it's not that kind of thing we're talking about, sort of the happy, clappy stuff. What we're talking about is the honest, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing kind of hope that the world needs to hear, and it's what we need to hear today. It's the sorrowful over circumstances, but rejoicing in the nature and character of God kind of hope that we need to hang on to. And and we need to cultivate this kind of hope while we walk in the light so that when we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we know what we're hanging on to. Lamentations 3 is rich with this kind of hope that we need to cultivate, and so we're going to look at it with that lens. We're going to look today at the exhaustion of hope, we're going to look at the renewal of hope, and we're going to look at the foundation of hope. Exhaustion, renewal, and foundation of hope. Look at the text with me, verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Now, I moved right past the first 15 verses in this chapter because it's basically a repeat of what we've seen over the last two Sundays. 
It's just more description of the way that the poet of Lamentations has felt the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the exile of her people. And it's all summarized here just in these few verses where, where he says God has brought about the circumstances in which he finds himself and now he is reduced to chewing on gravel. He's pressed down to the ground in the ashes of what remain from his destroyed city. There's an absence of peace in his soul and there's an inability to remember happiness and goodness. He says, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. He's tired and he's weary and his hope has been exhausted. He doesn't have anything left. Christ said he hope is integral to the human existence and when it is lost, death sets in. I've used this illustration before, but it bears repeating because it gets to the heart of the problem of the exhaustion of our hope. There was a therapist named Viktor Frankl, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he recounts the story of being shipped around to different concentration camps as he was imprisoned in World War II. And in that book, he talks about his observations and how he ended up pioneering a new method of psychology or psychiatry because of what he saw and experienced. And one of the most interesting things about his story and about his book is the way that he sees hope being the decisive characteristic for the survival of a prisoner. It's the most decisive characteristic that is needed for someone to survive in those kind of circumstances. He talks about how people can suffer through nearly anything if they have a reason for it and something to look forward to, but senseless suffering crushes them because hopelessness sets in. He goes on to quote Nietzsche's famous words, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. So Frankel tells a story in this book of one of his friends in a concentration camp. His friend in February of 1945 had a dream that the camp would be liberated by March 30th of that same year. As the day approached, it became clear that they would not be set free. And he writes this, he said, But the war news which reached our camp made it appear very unlikely that we would be free on the promised date. On March 29th, F, that's his friend, suddenly became ill and ran a high temperature. On March 30th, the day his prophecy had told him that the war and suffering would be over for him, he became delirious and lost consciousness. On March 31st, he was dead. Those who know how close the connection is between the state of mind of a man, his courage and hope or lack of them, and the state of immunity of his body will understand that the sudden loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect. The ultimate cause of my friend's death was that The expected liberation did not come, and he was severely disappointed. Frankel also tells the story of getting to know the chief doctor at the concentration camp where he was imprisoned, and how something happened between Christmas 1944 and New Year's 1945 where there was a tremendous increase in death. The workload had not increased, the food had not changed, the weather had not changed, There was no outbreak of sickness or disease in the camp. But his observation was this. A lot of them who had died had held on to the naive hope that they would be home for Christmas. When Christmas came and went, they succumbed to the hopelessness of the situation and they effectively gave up and died. 
Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, the one distinguishing characteristic between those who died and those who lived was hope. So Christ City, what are you hanging on to right now? When's the last time you did an inventory on your heart to check for the supply of hope in your soul? The poet of Lamentations said, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Where do you go and what do you do when you realize that the fuel tank of your hope is running on empty? Do you try the do better, try harder of moralism where you're just going to use your own strength and muscle through it and it's all going to be okay? Do you numb yourself with alcohol and drugs and work and relationships and endless entertainment? Or do you run to God? What, what do you do when the hope runs dry in your soul? Where do you anchor your hope? Where do you place your hope? What are you trusting in? If your hope is grounded in the experience of perpetually good circumstances, then you are set up for sorrow that will not be able to rejoice. The poet of Lamentations keeps going, though. Verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Wormwood is a symbol of bitterness. So he's basically saying, look, I'm tired. I've lost my hope. And my soul continually remembers and rehearses the bitterness of my circumstances. I'm tired. I've lost my hope. And my soul continually remembers and rehearses the bitterness of my circumstances. Am I preaching to anyone today? What is the meditation of your heart in this season? But look at what he does, because this will change the game for us. See, that's the exhaustion of hope when, when we see that our hope is basically run dry. But what about point two? What about the renewal of hope? Look at this, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Okay, I want you to notice how he moved from the exhaustion of his hope to the renewal of his hope. In verse 20, his soul continually remembers the bitterness of his affliction, the negativity of his circumstances. That's verse 20. But in verse 21, he makes a change. There's a cataclysmic shift that he begins to remember the goodness of God. Are you remembering the difficulty of your circumstances and rehearsing that in your mind and in your heart and in your soul? Or are you remembering the goodness of God and depending upon that truth? He says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This, it's the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. He says, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Now just think about the backdrop of these few verses of hope in the midst of Lamentations chapter 3. Just think about the backdrop of what is going on in the context all around the poet. 
not some rosy scene where there's kids swinging along on swing sets at parks and parents standing off to the side just laughing and young adults looking at each other with a little bit of romance in their eyes and everything is good and everyone's wealthy and healthy and fat and happy. There's bodies in the street. city has been brought down. It has been destroyed. The backdrop to these verses is the worst suffering and destruction imaginable. See, the glorious hope we have in God shines brightest against the backdrop of terrible circumstances. If your hope is waning and your eyes are locked onto the terror of your circumstances, just take a moment and take stock of the reality of your God. In lament, we've talked about this, the movements of lament, we move toward God. We voice our pain to God. We make bold requests of God. And we leave our trust in Him. Those are the movements of lament. But I want you to see that lament can be a catalyst for spiritual renewal in your life. Lament can bring about a renewal of hope. And you say, why? How does that work? Well, you're coming to God. You're passing the circumstances you're in and you're coming to the throne of a good and loving and merciful God. We've had two and a half chapters of horror and pain so far in this series in Lamentations and here the poet comes to the place that we all need to move to in our pain and circumstances like this. He comes to the spiritual discipline of remembering who God is and it brings him renewed hope. Now he can move toward sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because God is God and he is not. He is not going to be defined by the depth of sorrow and the negativity of the circumstances that are surrounding him. He has to be defined based upon who God is and what God says about him. So he can renew his hope. Pain and suffering, if you think about it like this, can be like a low heavy, thick fog that settles in all around us. We can't see through it. It obscures our view, and we can't see our way out of it. I remember when I was younger, being out in the Pacific Ocean in a little fishing boat, and the fog was so thick before the days of good GPS navigation, we didn't know where we were. And it's terrifying to not know how to get back to where you need to be. And that's what happens in pain and suffering and sorrow. It just closes in on us and our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and we can't see the way out. We need to break through, though, with the knowledge that God is still there above it all. He is the unchanging God who is entirely faithful and consistent to his word. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We need the discipline of remembering who He is over and over and over again. Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, and in that book he says, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless, but we should argue back. We should say, well, that depends what you were hoping in. Was that the right thing to put so much hope in? Notice how the psalmist in Psalm 42 analyzes his own hopes. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Notice that he admonishes himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. The psalmist is taking, uh, talking to his heart, telling it to go to God, looking to God. 
See, spiritual renewal in our lives comes from remembering to set our hope back where it's supposed to be. Look what he says, the poet says in verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. See, the way into spiritual, uh, spiritual renewal of hope is by checking our hearts, and if they're wayward from God, the first thing to do is to return to him once again. We remember who he is. We set our affections on him again. If we have sinned, we repent of our sin. We ask for forgiveness, and we come back to him. We draw near to him. But the people of God in this passage have wandered a long way off of faithfulness. Their hearts were far from God. But it's when we come to a place of encounter with the holiness of God, and it's when we come to the knowledge and awareness of our sin and the depth of our sin that we are poised and ready for spiritual renewal. It's when we recognize our deep need for God and his deep mercy and love and grace toward us that we can actually begin to experience this kind of renewal of hope. Look at the way that Peter connects God's mercy to our hope in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Christ City, this is what we're hanging on to. This is the framework of thinking that practically shows others what it means to hold on to hope in the midst of all circumstances. This is the totally different framework of hope that is not based on the circumstances around us, but is hope that is based upon who God is and what he has promised us in Christ. Because of his great mercy, we can be born again to a living hope. That living hope has all of the promises of God wrapped up in it in the inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. All right? And this is the paradox of hope that we're talking about. It's the paradox of hope that says we can be sorrowful over the circumstances, yet always rejoicing, because we know that our hope is not wrapped up in the circumstances around us, but is built upon the steadfast love of the Lord, whose mercies never come to an end, and whose mercies are new every morning. We can have our hopes renewed. And I just want to say to you, from a pastor who loves this church, you are built to withstand this season. This has been immeasurably difficult for many of us. But if you'll depend on God and ask him to renew your hope, you will persevere. We've looked at the exhaustion of hope, which is what happens when we lose sight of God. We've looked at the renewal of hope, which comes when we remember who he is and the depth of his goodness to us. Now we need to look at the foundation of hope that it's all built upon. This is the sure foundation of hope, according to the poet of Lamentations. Verse 31 says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. See, Lamentations chapter 3 is the center of the book. And verses 31 and 33, 31 to 33, are, are the center of that chapter. 
And so it, it is at the exact middle of this entire book that we get to the high point that now becomes the lens through which we view the rest of it. And we have to hold on to this because it gets messy after this. We have to hold on to the high point of the book, the literary high point that reveals to us the foundation of our hope. See, the foundation of our hope that we see in Lamentations is, is that this judgment, this story of destruction, is not the end of the story. Though it's clear that the judgment is coming from the hand of God, it is also clear that his deepest heart for them is for their merciful restoration to him. It says, though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. See, the foundation of our hope is God himself. It is the unchanging nature of God that gives us the ability to stand firm in the midst of all circumstances. Jonathan Edwards said, God has no pleasure in the destruction or calamity of persons or people. He had rather they should turn and continue in peace. He is well pleased if they forsake their evil ways that he may not have occasion to execute his wrath upon them. He is a God that delights in mercy and judgment is his strange work. Judgment is his strange work. That is old Puritan language for it's not normal. It's his strange work. That's what it means that he does not afflict them from his heart. See, the foundation of our hope is that God is a God of mercy and steadfast love and that though his people are lost and hopeless, he is going to bring them home and he is going to give them a reason to hope once again. Judgment is his strange work. So we don't define God in the fullness of who he is based upon something as narrow as this. He is merciful. His steadfast love endures. His mercies are new every morning. And his judgment is meant to lead them to repentance and bring them back into relationship with himself. So once he has exposed in them the sin that is deserving of this punishment, he is able to, once again, reveal to them the depth of his mercy and love. And it's so vital that we understand this. There's an author named Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray said it needs to be made clear that it is not sin that humbles, but grace. It is not sin that humbles, but grace. So we don't come and bow down before the throne of God because he has made us aware of our sinfulness. I think if we're honest, it's the awareness of our sin that keeps us far from him. Now, the foundation of hope that we have is not the awareness of our sin alone, but it's the awareness of his grace toward us in Christ. It isn't sin that humbles us. It's the ridiculous goodness and mercy and love of God that we experience all by grace. Look at what the poet says later in verse 55. He said, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. We have a totally different framework of hope that sustains us in sorrow and pain and suffering and loss. And people desperately need to encounter that kind of hope right now. And that kind of encounter only comes through meeting the God of the universe. The hopeless around us and the hopeless among us. 
need to know that God hears our plea. Don't close your ear to my cry for help, the poet says. We need to know that he hears our plea and that he comes near to us when we call and that he whispers to us, do not fear. When the fears rise up and the hope starts to disappear in our lives and we start to think that we've exhausted all hope, we start to wonder if God really loves us. And it's important that we stand on the foundation of who he is. We need to be mindful of the foundation that we stand on as we question all of the things that happen to us in life. Where is God and does he love me? Listen to this from Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ City, this is the sure foundation we stand upon as we look for hope. It is nothing less than God's love to us expressed in Christ. As you get ready to celebrate communion with your house church, I want you to be mindful of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to celebrate communion with us. And when we celebrate communion, we take the bread and the wine that point us to the, like we, we hold it, but it's, it's pointing us to the reality that Christ died in our place, that his body was broken and his blood was shed, and that nothing will separate us from his love. It's easy to lose hope when circumstances are terrible. It's easy to forget the sufficiency of God's saving work for us in Christ. But come to the place of renewing your hope by remembering who he is, even as you take the bread and the wine. Even as you celebrate Christ crucified in your place and for your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to him. Move toward him in your pain. Call out with a bold request. Put your trust in him once again and celebrate by taking the bread and the wine. And remember that Jesus' work in your place is sufficient for everything you would ever need to be saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're hanging out with us and watching videos, maybe with friends, maybe with family, maybe on your own, can I just say to you that you can take this step of faith? That you need a foundation that you can stand on? That you need hope that is not tied to the success of the circumstances around you? That you need hope that transcends all of that and that is only found in Christ? We would love to be able to talk with you about that. Why don't you let us know how we can serve you and how we can sit down and talk about the hope of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, you are so good to us. You are so merciful. You are so loving. And we are well aware of our great need for your saving work in our life, but man, are we ever filled with hope when we consider your goodness to us. Your steadfast love endures. You have granted us living hope through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And I pray that we would stay grounded in that, renewed in that, and filled with that hope, even in days like these. And I pray for all who are listening right now, for those who have 
gotten to the edge of the exhaustion of their hope, I pray that you would fill them now in Jesus' name. We pray for them. Come, Holy Spirit. Do a wondrous work and a miracle in desperate hearts today. And for those, Lord, who are doing well, who are at the top of the mountain right now, not in the depths of the valley, I ask you, God, that we would do the one another work well in our church and that we would care for and spread the hope that we have and share it around to those who are in need, that we would show how worthy you are of our worship and how worthy you are to be praised. Lord, it is my sincere prayer that you would meet us in the midst of pain and that you would show us that you're mighty to save. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.